We uh, started the series where we talked about engaging God's Word, and the big idea during that message was that the Word works. We need to learn how to work the Word. And then the, the second message, we, we talked about prayer. We, we talked about the importance of prayer and how important it is for you and I to make appointments with God, because when we don't make an appointment, we miss appointments with God. And so we said that making an appointment with God, you do that the same way that you make appointments with people. You set a time, and you set a place, and then you show up. And then the following Sunday after that, we talked about my best friend, uh, the person and the work of Holy Spirit. We talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and how important it was for, for people to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit because it's power to walk in the new. During that message, we shared that the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. He makes you wired. He gives you power to walk in the new. No one loves Jesus more than Holy Spirit. And, um, and so we, uh, we, we shared and talked a little bit about Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about following Jesus and how when Jesus came to earth, he didn't come with a command. He came with an invitation. And the invitation was follow me. And we learned that all of us have a next step. No matter where you are in your journey with God, you have a next step, and I have a next step. Why is that important? It's because if you're not taking your next step with God, you're stuck. And so we talked about how all of us have a next step. And I love it. My wife came home, and, and she, um, she said, honey, I, you know, that message, I have a next step. And I'm like, yeah, you do. I have a next step too, you know, because all of us are in this journey with God. Your next step may not be my next step, but all of us have a next step. Today, I want to talk about something that we partake of often uh, here uh, as a church. Many churches partake of often. It's, it's one of the sacraments. And I want to talk about communion. And I want to tie this in because I think for those of us who are maybe new to church, maybe you didn't grow up partaking of communion, um, this is new to you. It'll help you understand the value of communion. For those of us that grew up in church, Depending on what church you grew up in, you would call communion uh, maybe uh, by a different name. We'll talk a little bit about that today. Uh, but it'll help us, for those of us who, we've done this for years. If you like me, you grew up in church, I've been partaking of communion for years. And listen, the danger in that is that it becomes common. And so we want to talk about how this is a very uncommon uh, uh, sacrament that we, that we do and, and some of the important things about communion. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to begin there in just a moment, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and then put your bookmark in Luke chapter 24. Put your bookmark in Luke 24. If you've got a paper Bible like me and you've got the ribbons, put one of those ribbons in Luke chapter 24. It's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Turn to Luke 24, put your bookmark, put your uh, picture of your cat, picture of grandma, picture of your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever, put it in Luke 24, and then turn to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to start there in just a moment. Or if you're following along on a smart device, then click on 1 Corinthians 11. Just a little over 21 years ago, I made the second best decision of my life. And that was when I married a girl by the name of Deidre Zetz, who grew up in this church. I changed her name, but she changed my life. Yeah. 
You're making me blush. Stop it. <laughs> Over 21 years ago, we, we got married in June, and um, we got married actually. Many of you have kids that are with Pastor Michael and in, the, in Victory Kids. That used to be called the auditorium. That was the first worship center on this property, and that's where, wherever Bishop Thomas uh, married, officiated the wedding of my wife and I just over 21 years ago. And the reason I bring that up is because one of the things that we experienced during our ceremony was a powerful moment. It was our very first spiritual act as a married couple we experienced on that stage in that auditorium. And that very first spiritual act was when we partook and Bishop Thomas gave us and served us communion. I could tell you that the whole ceremony was beautiful, but when we began partaking of communion, something significant happened, and that was that the presence of God came into that room and came on that stage, and we felt the presence and the pleasure of God over that ceremony and over that covenant that we were making with each other, and we will never, ever, ever forget that. There's some things that people value more than other people value it. Sometimes it's just the difference between being an adult or being a kid. I remember when I was young and I spent the summer in New York with some relatives, I made a friend in the neighborhood very quickly, and we had a blast throwing around a baseball or a football. I had brought my football from Youngstown to... Um, to New York, and uh, you know they, they were New Yorkers, they loved baseball, but I brought my football, and so we would throw around the baseball or the football, and, and then one day I lost my football. Little buddy that I made, I was about eight or nine years old, said, hey, I'll be back, I've got one at home. He runs home, comes back out, and he's got this brand new shiny football with some writing on it, and, um, and, and we're, we just start having fun with it. We're throwing it around, we're kicking it around, we're tossing it. It's new, it's, you know, it gets getting scuffed up a little bit. And, and then after about an hour goes by, his dad comes out, white as a ghost, and is screaming for his son. Because little Johnny didn't just grab any football, he grabbed his daddy's football, who had a name written on it with permanent marker, Roger Staubach. Now, for those of you who don't know who Roger Staubach is, some would argue that he was probably one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game of football. Daddy valued that football just a little bit more than his son and his son's new friend. For us, it was just a football. I mean, we grabbed that thing and we just, Roger Staubach, pow, and just would kick it. I mean, it got scuffed up, and Dad almost lost it. Why? Because we often value things in a different way or don't hold the same value to us that it does to someone else. I thought about how if ever of you ever had a, a little kid who, who, when they're really small, you're, you're walking into the restaurant, and in the parking lot, they find a rock, and it becomes their pet rock. And they say, look, Mommy, look, Daddy, this rock. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful? And you're, you're just going along with them. Yes, honey, that's great. You go to the restaurant and you eat and you leave the restaurant and she forgot the rock in the restaurant. Daddy, oh no, I forgot my special rock in the restaurant. And our response is, honey, just go back out to the parking lot and pick another one. But no, daddy, it's that rock. Why? Because we, sometimes our kids value things in a way that we don't. 
or vice versa. And we often don't see the same value in things. The point of those stories is that is it possible that when it comes to communion, that, we, that maybe we don't see, in the, see it in the same way that God sees it? Is it possible that when we come to communion, we're treating communion in the same way that me and my little friend treated a football with an autograph of Roger Staubach on it? And we hold something that's very uncommon and very valuable as something that is just, just common. Communion is priceless, but we often can't see the value in it because we often don't understand why Christ instituted it. Why, why do we do this? Why is it that we come together? Some churches it's every week, other churches it's once a month. But why is it that we come together and, and we partake of the bread and of the cup? And if we don't know the answer to that, we've got to know the answer to that. I heard a pastor once say, and it so struck me when he said it, that it caused me to begin to just study the Word and, 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 and just help us just understand some of the things that we do that we often take for granted. But here's what he said about communion. He said, I have become very convinced of the real presence of Christ in communion. Communion, some of us know it as the Lord's Supper. It's one way of some people call it the Lord's Supper. Another, another way that maybe you grew up understanding communion was the Eucharist. And that's very legitimate because, you know, the Bible was written in Greek and in the New Testament whenever it tells the story where the Bible says that Jesus took bread and he, he, he broke the bread and he gave thanks. In the, in the language, if you could read Greek, you would, it'll literally read uh, Eucharist Deo, that, that phrase where it says the, that Jesus took bread and when he broke it, he gave thanks. It's Eucharist Deo. So if you grew up in calling it the Eucharist, that's totally legitimate. That's totally fine. But my question is, what is it? What is it? Is it just food or drink? Is it just food or drink? Or is there something more to it? Those of you watching online, you're, you're grabbing a piece of bread, and they may not be exactly like this, or you, you may not even have grape juice. It may be Apple juice, it may be orange juice, maybe a glass of milk, I don't know. Uh, but grabbing a drink, is it just food or drink? Is it just food or drink, or is there something more? Well, Paul addresses this issue. Paul addresses this issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where I had you turn. And to just give you a little backdrop on this, on this story, which we're getting ready to read, this is Paul, and he is probably, this letter that he has written to a church in Corinth um, Paul probably had this letter transcribed. In other words, he is speaking out loud, and he's got one of his spiritual sons transcribing this letter for him, and he sends it to a church in Corinth. And the background to, this, to the verses we're going to read is that Paul is very frustrated with the audience, the recipients of this letter to a church. So I know that as pastors, often you don't often see our frustrations. We don't, we don't often, you know, come to the stage and let you have it. Um, but Paul was frustrated with the church. And so you could, you could sense and hear the frustrating tone in which he is speaking when we pick up in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11. Here's what he says. He says, and, you've, and I want you to picture Paul. Paul is the leader. He's a spiritual dad. 
and he is frustrated. And so he begins verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. That's not good. I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Jump down to verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You're, you're, not, you're not doing, you think, you're, you're, think, you think you're, you're practicing communion, but whatever you're doing, it's far from communion. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and, an, and I've heard that others of you, you get drunk. And then verse 22 is awesome. It begins with one word sentence. What? Exclamation point. Not a question mark, but an exclamation point. What are you thinking? What's wrong with you? Do you not have houses to eat in and to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? You want me to, you want me to applaud you? You want me to praise you? You want me to celebrate you? I'm not celebrating you. Verse 29. For he who drinks, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself. And as a little boy growing up in church, these words always freaked me out. That the pastor is handing out something on a monthly basis that could kill me if I did it wrong. Anybody relate? Not only when I read those verses, but when the pastor was sure to stand up and look at the crowd and say, now you know, if you do this in an unworthy manner, you are drinking judgment to yourself. And so on those days where I wasn't having a good week, I would say, no, thank you. I don't want to drink judgment. I don't want to die. I'm fine just as I am. And so I want to begin to unpack that today for us to understand what did Paul mean when he said, don't do this in an unworthy fashion? What did he mean by that? Well, if you read on in that same verse, what is it that they were doing wrong? What was Paul, what, what, what was Paul telling the church in Corinth that he was so upset at? What were they doing wrong? He says it in this same verse. He said, Here, here's your problem, church. You would, you would come and you would partake of communion, or so you thought, but you did not discern the Lord's body. In other words, you treated this just as mere food. You treated it as common, and you're not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, you are not discerning that the one who walked on earth 2,000 years ago, the one who died, was buried, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, that something spectacular happens when you take the bread and you take the cup and when you come together as a church, the presence of God is more real and tangible and power in the moment of communion and it's unlike any other thing that we do. You're not discerning that the Lord is there 
His body is there discerning the Lord's body. There's a very big theological word that some, some, some churches believe in, and that's the word transubstantiation. I, it came out. I don't know if it came out good, but I'm not trying that one again. And it's a doctrine that says that at a certain moment when the priest blesses the bread and blesses the cup, that it literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus. Now, lean in. We don't believe, we don't believe that because Scripture does not support that. However, we don't have a right to say that he's not present in communion because he said that he was. But at the same time, we don't have the right to say how he, pres- he is present in communion because the Scripture never told us how he was. But what we do know is that in communion, his presence is real and tangible and powerful in a way where it isn't present in any other thing that we do. Now listen, it's not far-fetched for us to believe that when you and I partake of communion, that his presence is there in a way where it isn't when we're not doing it. You know why it's not too far-stretched for us to believe that? Because most of us in this room, if not all of us, believe that his presence comes during something like praise and worship. We talk about it almost every Sunday that praises go up, God comes down. And in the same way that praise and worship, that what happens on this stage is not just music, it's not entertainment, it's not the preliminaries, no. It's not about you, it's about Him. And our team rehearses, they practice, they get good at their craft, not to impress you, but to impress an audience of one. And, and, and to also be used to lead you into his presence. And so if it's not hard for us to believe that through instruments and through singing and through coming together and and singing songs and us expressing our love to God corporately, if it's not far-fetched to believe that God can fill that moment, then it's not far-fetched to believe that when we partake of communion, his presence is there as well in a way that's just unique. Paul said, you have not discerned the Lord's body. How he's present may be a mystery, but it shouldn't be so hard to believe that he shows up in communion in a very tangible and powerful way. So three quick questions I want to ask us and unpack this morning before we partake of communion here together. Three quick questions. Number one, is communion a symbol? Is communion a symbol? And to that I say yes. Yes, it is a symbol. And it symbolizes his death and his resurrection. Communion symbolizes the death and resurrection of Jesus. The bread symbolizes his body. And the cup symbolizes his blood. His body that was broken for us, whipped, beaten, and his blood that he shed on a criminal's cross for you and I to have remission of sins, meaning that His blood washes us, 
clean of all of our sin if we choose and accept the payment that He made by sacrificing His body in our place so that you and I can have a right relationship with God the Father. So it is a symbol. The bread represents His body. The cup represents His blood. It's a symbol. In the same way that we have symbols all throughout our world, a stop sign is a symbol. A stop sign is an important symbol. When you and I see a stop sign, what do we do? Most of us, we stop. And I've learned that a rolling stop is not a stop. But there are some symbols that are more important than others. If you and I were driving together down the road and we noticed that someone had an accident and in that accident they had to run, they had knocked over a stop sign, well, depending on the conditions and, and depending on if, if we were able to, we, we might get out of the car and fix that stop sign so that someone doesn't get hurt or maybe we would just keep driving past it and, and say, well, you know, we, we hope somebody comes and fix it or maybe call the de- a department to come and, and report that, but, but it's just a symbol. There are other symbols in our world that are a little bit more important. I, I, thought, of, I thought of a nation's flag. I thought of the Olympics. And whenever, whenever the, the winners of an event at the Olympics, um, one of the things that they can do to show, 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 show such honor to that gold medalist winner, to show such respect and to do something to really galvanize the, the country that they're representing is what do they put up? behind the the gold medal winner. They put up that nation's flag. Flags are a very strong symbol for nations. It's a very strong symbol for nations. There are some that if their flag was thrown on the floor somewhere, they would not hesitate to say that does not belong there because it's not not common. And so they, they make sure they understand that it's more than just stars and stripes on fabric. It symbolizes something. There's something behind a nation's flag. And in the same way, this is a symbol, but it represents something extremely and very important. It represents the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it should carry a lot of weight for us. Here's the second question. Is this more than a symbol? We've already answered the question, is it a symbol? And we've said yes. But is it more than a symbol? And to that question, we say yes. This is more, far more than just a symbol. The Bible says that people were getting sick and dying because of their misuse of communion. And you've got to try to find out why, what was happening. People were getting sick and dying because of their misuse of communion. And I've got to tell you that communion is for here and now, an opportunity not to just do a religious exercise or scratch off a sacrament on our weekly religious duty list, but it is where we have a genuine encounter with the living, loving, authentic God of the universe when He shows up in our moment of communion with Him because He said that He would. Somebody give Him praise for just a moment. Communion is a moment where you and I get to encounter him in a unique and tangible way and and declare his death. Declare his death. And I always thought about that. I'm like, I'm thinking, well, what 
what fun, what, what joy is there in declaring the death of Jesus? I mean, I want to skip to the good part when he rose again. Right? And, and I remember, I remember our, our, beautiful, uh, our, our beautiful Italian grandma would visit our church, the last church that we were at. And, and one of the things, because she, she's Catholic, and one of the things she would ask whenever she'd come to our church was, where's the cross? Where's the cross, right? Because that's important for some people of faith. That's important. And, and, and then we, you know, we had, our stage had a big screen. You know, we've got screens on the side. That stage had a screen right in the middle, and the cross was hidden behind the screen. And so we would have to lift the screen for grandma to see the cross. But there was another major thing about the cross. Our cross didn't have Jesus on it. There was no Jesus on the cross. And I love how, how different groups of people that love Jesus, how they emphasize different, different it's, like, it's like when you touch an elephant and you try to describe what you're touching. Depending on what side of that thing you're on, you'll describe it completely different. And the same thing is, is like with, with believers around the world. Some people, they'll, they're touching this part of God, and they're saying, well, this is God, this is who He is. And it's like, well, that's great, I believe you, but I'm touching a different part of God. And, 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 and so the, the cross is so significant. It's so significant. He died. Why is that significant? And I would think, I want to fast forward to the good part where He rose again. But here's what's so powerful about declaring the death. When we partake of communion, we are declaring the death of Jesus. Why is that possible? I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Because if you've ever wondered if God loves you or God is for you, when we remember his death, you can't help but to realize the great lengths at which Jesus went to save you and to, and to bring you back to God. Not when you had your act all together. Not when you straightened yourself out. But while you were yet sinners, while you were yet shaking your fist at God, the Bible says Jesus died for you. And so declaring his death, we're telling people that are wondering and skeptical, does God love me? Is God for me? Sir, ma'am, he absolutely is. How do I know that? Because he died for you. And we declare his death every time we partake of communion. It's also powerful because in declaring his death, we're declaring to the unseen spiritual evil world whose role is to destroy your family and destroy your home and destroy your life and destroy your marriage. We're declaring to devils. We're declaring to a supernatural unseen world that Jesus died. And when he died, he destroyed death, hell, and the grave. And he's made me a new creation. And so we declare his death in communion. And there is so much, listen, look at me, there's so much taking place when you and I are breaking this wafer together and chewing on it. And there's so much taking place when you and I drink this cup. Because it is possible for God to be present in a tangible, powerful, and real way, and you or I miss it. It's possible for God to be present, and you and I miss it, 
and not discern it. Jacob in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Jacob was in a place where he was sleeping and he had an encounter with God. And when he encountered God, the Bible says it was so powerful that he renamed the place. Some of you are in places in life that the only thing that could rename the place that you're in is an encounter with God. God can rename cancer and he can rename it healed. God can rename a broken marriage or divorce and he can rename it restoration. God can rename your place from surviving to thriving through the presence of God. And here's what Jacob said when he encountered God. He said, man, God, I missed it. I, I didn't know that, that you, you were, I, I didn't know you were in this place, but I know it now. The language is significant. I didn't know that you were, past tense. What, what's he mean? When I didn't recognize you, see, see you, sense you, feel you, you were here. I just didn't know it, but I know it now. And so what I'm saying is that in just a moment when we partake of communion, I want there to be some people that say, I've done this for years, and I didn't know that God shows up in that way, but I know it now. And I'm about to rename my place. I'm about to rename my situation. I'm about to rename my circumstance. I'm about to rename what I'm going through. Not because I've wisened up, not because of a pastor or a preacher or a good sermon, but because God invaded my space, my place, my marriage, my home, and he completely transformed my outlook. And we need that more than ever in the church. There's a survey done a number just a few years ago by George Barna a research group out of Venture, California. They specialize in surveys and, and percentages and polls. And they asked the question to church-going Americans, how often do you experience God in your church? Church-going Americans. 72 responded, 72% of church-going Americans responded that they've never experienced God in their church. They've experienced religion. They've experienced tradition. They've experienced programs. They've experienced nice things, but they've never experienced God in their church. That, my friend, should be illegal. I've got better things to do on a Sunday morning than show up in a dead, dry, religious atmosphere where there is no God and there is no power and there is no presence and there is no miracles and there is no life transformation where there is no potential for someone's life being transformed. I've got better things to do and so do you. But thank God that we make room for the presence of God because that, my friend, is the game changer and if we don't give that to people who will 
If we don't give people the potential to encounter an authentic and real God, who on earth will? I'll tell you, nobody else will. Because you and I, church, are God's plan A. And he has no plan B. The plan for world redemption is resting on your shoulders and my shoulders. And it's about time that we become people, not just the programs or denomination or doctrine, that, but we become people of presence that know him and make him known to the world around us. Go ahead and thank God for, for that. Jacob experienced God. He didn't know it, but he experienced him. I thought about the two men that the Bible talks about in Luke chapter 24. The Bible says that these two men were very distraught at the events that took place during Passover in Jerusalem whenever Jesus was crucified. These men, when you read the story and the account in Luke chapter 24, you begin to read into the story and you begin to, to think that these men had followed Jesus for at least some time. They were followers of Jesus. And then Jesus is in Jerusalem on Passover. He's crucified as the Passover lamb, not only for the Jewish people, but for the nations of the world. It's why you and I are here today. And these men were very distraught over the, the events that took place whenever Jesus was crucified and then buried. The Bible says it was on a Sunday, the Sunday after Jesus was crucified, and they were heading back. I don't know if they were heading back home, but they were heading to a, a community called Emmaus, just not that far from, from Jerusalem, and they were walking there. Well, what had happened on that Sunday was that Jesus Christ rose again. And so Jesus Christ finds these two men intentionally, and he begins to have a conversation with these two men. But the Bible talks about how these two men did not recognize Jesus. They couldn't recognize him. They heard his voice, but they couldn't recognize him through his voice. And when I read that, whenever I read that, I thought, about, I thought about how often as a church, if Jesus would show up, we wouldn't recognize him. If we'd hear his voice or his word, we wouldn't recognize it as any, as any we would just recognize it as another common voice. And here these guys were, I mean, you know, they, they couldn't recognize Jesus from, from just another stranger walking up to him. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 24 and verse 30 that it came to pass that they went from walking to sitting at a table together. Can, you, can I get your eyeballs for just a moment? Don't look at the Bible, look at me. Following Jesus is more than you and him walking together. You have to have moments where you sit down together with Jesus and you partake of the bread of life. In your journey with God, it's not just walking, but it's eating with Jesus. How do I eat with Jesus? It's what we've been talking about, engaging him in his word, making an appointment with him, and spending time with him. That's what's happening here. It's what we're getting ready to do. It's communion. The Bible says that as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it, and gave it to them. What does that remind you of? Reminds you of communion. And look at what happened. Look. 
Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and then he vanished from their sight again. But I read that, and I thought about what, would that, what, would, what if that would happen to the church? What if the church of America would have an encounter with God that Jesus was revealed to them, and they would actually know him? Listen, this is important because we live in a Snapchat world where we put a filter on everything. And everything is filtered. And we only put out there what we want people to think about us. And we filter everything in our life when we wake up in the morning and we take the selfie. That thing better be filtered. But can I tell you something? We've carried that over into the church and we've been given the world a filtered, dialed down, watered down version of the gospel and Jesus where what the world needs is an unfiltered, authentic encounter with the Jesus, not of my denomination, not of my own conjuring, but the Jesus of the Bible that saves sinners, delivers the tormented, and heals the sick. Because when we give them the unfiltered gospel and the unfiltered Jesus, when we take off all the trappings and all the wrappings of our plastic Christianity on our beautiful Savior, if we present the Jesus of the Bible, I'll tell you what, that's a king that everybody wants. And my heart is that it would happen first to the church so that our eyes may be opened and that we would know him. We're getting ready to partake of his bread and his cup. And we do it not discerning that God is in that moment. And there's potential for an encounter with an unfiltered Jesus. When we filter him, we filter his work, his miracles, his ability but no longer. When we see Jesus for who he really is, we realize he's all we need. Because when we get him, we get everything else. Number one, is this a symbol? Yes. Number two, is it more than a symbol? Yes. Number three, the last question, and we end in just a minute. What is our part? What's our part in all of this? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 27 Paul says therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord verse 28 says but here's how you fix that let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup so first examine yourself and then partake of communion examine yourself and then do communion. Examine yourself, because if you don't, you could be guilty. And I would read stuff like that, and preachers would get up and tell, say stuff like that, and I'd be freaked out every time I took, I, I'm serious, as a little boy, I, I, wouldn't, I would just, I would take communion and sit for about five minutes to see if I'd stay alive. 
examine yourself, examine yourself. And what we often do is we often fall back to our default mode as humans. And that default mode, when we read something like that, here's what we think God is saying. We think God is saying, all right, you're getting ready to take communion and examine yourself. How good were you this week? Did you have a good week? Did you read your Bible? Did you pray? Did you obey God in every area? Treated your wife well? Treated your kids well? Treated your spouse well? Did you, did you listen to your teacher? Did you do good? That's what we think it means. Examine yourself as to whether you are good or bad. And we somehow, as followers of Jesus, we somehow fall back into this default mode of works, of earning, of working for God for a wage. And we forget that the way we started this thing is not what we're accustomed to, our default mode. In fact, Paul answers what he means when he says, examine yourself. Because we often think that it's my good and my bad. Let's put them on scales and see, see which one is heavier this week. And that'll tell me whether or not to partake of communion because I don't want to die. Is that accurate? Because that's the way I used to think. It was until I read 2 Corinthians 13.5. Because the best way to interpret Scripture is through Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says, examine yourself. Same language. What's the test look like, Paul? Good versus bad? No. No, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. What's that mean? When you came to Jesus, you came to him by faith. And that faith was a gift from God. Not by works, let anyone should boast. Are you still in that? Are you still in that place of salvation where, where you understand that you were saved not by works, but by grace, through faith, in Jesus, are you still in the faith? And test yourselves. Give yourself a test. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, the hope of glory? Unless indeed you are disqualified. See, if you believe that there is no way that you could have ever earned your spot at this table, that it is only through Jesus Christ and Him alone, that in the same way you did nothing to earn your salvation and you did nothing that earned God's favor on you to, to receive salvation in that same way, I come to this table not because I had a great week, not because I read my Bible every day and prayed every day. No, I come to this table recognizing that the only thing is a, and the only one that qualifies me to have a seat at this table, his name is Jesus, and he did everything. He was sufficient enough for me to pull up a chair. So examine yourself. Examine yourself. Test yourself. What's the test? Are you in Jesus? Yeah. Is Jesus in me? Yeah. Partake of communion. It's the opposite of what I always thought. 
Isn't that powerful? In just a moment as we partake of it. And I break this bread. It's a reminder that his body was broken so that mine doesn't have to be. And when I drink of the cup, it's a reminder that I did nothing. I did nothing to earn one drop of his blood that saved my life and my family. But Jesus' work was sufficient. That's the examination. That's the test. Lord, am I living my life in such a way that I understand that I'm not a slave, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. That I could do nothing to earn right relationship with God the Father, but through you, Jesus Christ, you are sufficient for my need. And I come to God only based on the work that Jesus, you have done. And I partake of this bread and this cup for those same reasons. That's the test. And if you're here today and you're far from God, you're far from God, you don't know Jesus, then today is a day that you can, you can work on that. See, because everyone here that's a follower of Jesus, there was a point in their life where the Bible says it like this, that Jesus stood on the door of their heart and he knocked. And Jesus said, listen, if you'd let me in, if you'd open up that door, I'd come in. And what does the Bible say he'll do? It says he'll sup with you. He'll break bread with you. Breaking bread and drinking of the cup, this is for family. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ and a part of the family of God, you can fix that today. Right where you're at. Right where you're at, you can bow your head and close your eyes and pray this prayer and say, Father, here I am today, just as I am. I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is the only one that can forgive me of my sin. And so, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to make me clean. I believe that you died for me and rose again. I give my life to you. I want to be born again. From this day forward, I want to be part of the family of God. If you're here today and you've prayed that prayer, or maybe God is doing a work in your life, all of us as followers of Jesus, we're going to partake of communion right now. And I want you to discern the Lord's body. We didn't have time to get into all of what that, what that means because the inference is also discerning each other because you and I are part of the body of Christ. But I want you this morning to discern the very real, tangible, and powerful presence of God in communion. Some have called this the meal that heals. Because I've heard stories of people that have partaken of communion and their bodies have been healed by the presence of God in communion. Lives restored by the presence of God in communion. So if you're here today and you didn't receive one of these and you'd like to partake with us, slip your hand up and our ushers will serve you communion right now if you don't have one and you want to have one. We've got some folks up here. Come on. We've got some folks up here that need communion, if they could be served as well. 
Thank you, ushers. Over here as well. If you need communion, just slip your hand up. We've got folks all the way up front. We need ushers up front, and we need ushers over here on the left. So if we can do that quickly. Thank you so much, ushers, for your, for your effort and serving. Thank you. I want everyone to be served that wants to be served. Let's go ahead and start peeling back that clear plastic thin film up top and take out the, uh, the bread. Those of you watching online, grab your piece of bread, whatever it is, and, and then also peel back that aluminum foil revealing the contents of the cup. Those of you watching online, you can partake with us in just a moment. A couple things quickly. You don't have to be a member of Victory. I should have said this earlier. You don't have to be a member of Victory to receive communion, just a member of the family of God, a follower of Jesus. And I want all of us to wait. We're going to partake of it together in just a moment. And as we do, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Do you believe and remember that the only way you've earned a spot at this table is nothing you've done, but it's everything Jesus Christ has done? It's through Christ alone that I have a spot at this table. And for that, we're so thankful. And as we hold the bread that represents his body, and we hold the cup that represents his blood that was shed for me, and as we declare his death, the Bible says that I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, He took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Let's partake of the Lord's bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Nothing Jesus stepped into my, my parents' world. It was a broken family led by a broken dad and a broken mom. When I ate that bread just a moment ago, I thought about how his brokenness, his body was broken so that my parents' lives could be made whole, so that my family could be made whole, so that I don't have to live in a broken marriage or in a broken family today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your brokenness. Because it gives us the potential and the promise for our wholeness. In the same manner, the Bible says, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together as a family. Oh, the wonderful cross. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, the wonderful Stand to our feet. Bid me come and 
Worship the Lord for a few seconds before we close. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All who gather here by grace, strong name, and bless your name. As we close in just a moment, I want to invite our prayer team to come. And as our prayer team comes right now, I want everyone looking at me. Here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, my wife and I, we're going to bless you. At the end of that blessing, my wife and I, what we normally like to do is we like to sneak out and head out to the lobby area and specifically to the welcome center that's straight ahead out these doors. And so if we've never met you before, we'd love to meet you. If it's been a long time that we've had an opportunity to say hello, just stop on by and say hi. But while we're doing that, this team here, every Sunday they give people an opportunity that need prayer for any reason, that opportunity to receive prayer. So if you need prayer for any reason here today, and you need prayer, we want to pray for you. You don't have to be a member of Victory to receive prayer. You don't have to be a bad person to receive prayer. We all need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. And so if you need prayer for any reason at all, we want to pray for you. Maybe your health, maybe your finances, your family, a relationship, whatever it is, we want to pray for you. But especially if you're far from God and today you want to take that first step in following Jesus, well, you just come down and join all the others and tell whoever you come down to, just tell them, I want to begin following Jesus. And they'll take you to the very, very simple next steps to become a follower of Jesus. And I can promise you it's not difficult. Jesus has done all of the work. He's just looking for open hearts. So if you're here today and you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray for you. So keep your eyes open as we bless you today and receive this from our hearts. Friends and family of Victory Christian Center, on this week of Thanksgiving, we bless you. And we declare over you, may the Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the one who loved you enough to die for you, may he bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine in your dark places. May he be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you peace, peace that surpasses all understanding, peace that the world knows nothing of, didn't give it to you, so they can't take it away. May he bless you and keep you. May your week be blessed with safety and protection. May I keep you as you rise up and lay down. May night terrors and nightmares be far from you, but may he give his beloved rest and sleep. May he keep you and bless you, and you're going out and you're coming in. Blessed in the city you are, 
Blessed in the country you are. Blessed in your homes. Blessed at work. Blessed on the road. Blessed at the job. Blessed in your school. May God bless your your families, your relationships. And as you gather around the table this week to be thankful. May God bless you. And may you feel, may he fill your home with his presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you. Hey, have a great Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful week. Come on, if you need prayer for any reason, we want to pray for you today.